Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 283, and I had a conversation with Ben Catello. He is the executive director at Forward Arkansas. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to, quote, accelerate the innovative and equitable transformation of education in Arkansas. Ben's background in education is really impressive. He believes, like I do, every kid deserves an incredible education and that no matter where a kid is coming from, whether they're, whatever their socioeconomic status uh, or their ability to learn, whatever challenges they may face, they all deserve to have an equal footing and opportunity to grow and learn and find themselves and excel. And so he is on that mission. He worked in Chicago uh, in the schools there to help educators change the direction of learning from within the school systems. Uh, He's the co-founder of Fremont Street. It's a national nonprofit philanthropy dedicated to, quote, catalyzing the redesign of schools and evolution of systems to improve the job of teaching and better prepare all students for success in life and today's economy. I mean, sounds like a superhero, right? (laughs) Ben is also a really great guy and a friend, and I was really happy to have him on the show. And I think you're going to really dig this episode. Uh, We dig into his life, what he thought he was going to be doing, and then the a change that was already, I think, already bubbling within him, uh, but then some life experiences really tipped the hat and sent him in this other direction and, and to the path that he's on now, which is great. We need more Bens in the world, in my humble opinion. I'm excited for you to hear this episode and, and learn all about him and his work. And who knows, maybe maybe this episode will inspire you to, um, to, to help facilitate change in your own school systems, wherever you might be listening to this. Because, uh, yeah, the more, the more we lift up our kids, the better off we will all be. I really believe that. The usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Hey Human Podcast. My personal social media is Susan Ruthism all over the place, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and that's S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Happy to answer any of your emails. SusanRuth.com is where you can sign up for the mailing list and check out other things about me as a person, me, myself, and I, and the things that I am doing around my life that isn't just the podcast, so music and art and creative things and writing and all that kind of stuff. If you're into music, you can find my stuff on, I'm saying stuff a lot for some inexplicable reason, but you can find me on iTunes, Spotify, that kind of thing under Susan Ruth. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and that's super helpful and I really appreciate it especially on iTunes, because it, it really makes a difference on the algorithms that we all know and love. Uh, on heyhumanpodcast.com, you will find a links page 
that will give you information about all of my guests, Ben included, of course, and piles of information of what we've discussed in every episode. So it's a really complete, well, not complete because it probably has things lacking, but it is a pretty epic list (laughs) of uh, different topics from every episode. So definitely check that out. Uh, Also on heyhumanpodcast.com is a storefront. You can buy Hey Human merch, like t-shirts or hats and things like that. And you also find a support Hey Human button on there. If you are so inclined, it helps keep Hey Human ad-free. And we like that. And uh, you can support in any way, a dollar or more. Every little bit helps. And it makes a difference. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening. Stay well, be safe, take care of each other, be kind, and, uh, you know, throw some love around in places you think might need it especially. And maybe even places you don't think need it, because, surprise, it does. (laughs) Everybody needs it. Everybody needs a little love. Am I right? Okay, enough of that. Let's get into this. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Hello. Hello. I can't see you yet. There you are. There we go. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing well. Guys, you're already recording me. Well, yeah. Sorry. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> I cannot promise. <laughs> yeah, Not I've first. learned. People are, are very chatty in the beginning, so I've learned to capture that in case we say something interesting or... Yeah, you know, whatever. Got I mean, that won't happen with you, of course. But. <laughs> I've missed this. God, I've missed this. My head got too big since. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that it's good. Like looking over my shoulder for, you know, potential threat. <laughs> you don't know why you slept, though. I tagged you in at night while you're sleeping. I say terrible things. <laughs> Break your ass down. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I, you know, I have been waking up feeling insecure. Yeah, that's me. That's me. That's, it's working. Good job, man. Yeah. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. Ben Cattello, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you so much. It's good to have you. This is your very first podcast. I promise I'll be gentle. First podcast ever. Excited and honored that it's with you. And thanks to you, I had Cameron Esposito on the show, and she was hilarious and wonderful and bright and interesting. So that's always good for a guest. So you have a lot to live up to, I'm just saying. Yeah, well, I don't know if I can live up to Cameron Esposito. Um, She is amazing and hilarious. And one quick point on Cameron Esposito is that I, she's, she's big time now, but like, I saw her in like, uh, a theater in Chicago where, where there were eight people and, she, and, and her sister was running the lights and handing out cupcakes. So I saw her from the beginning, which has been very cool. That's, that's just, you know, humble beginnings is, mm-hmm. is what you want to hear of your superstars, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and also you and I met through our mutual friend, AJ. So shout out to AJ. Thank you for having a crazy debauch weekend where you and I <laughs> got to meet and and make horrible fun of each other for three yes. straight days. <laughs> right off right off the bat, which you know that's 
that's that's true that love. Was the connection that was the connection yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right you know that uh you're gonna be a lifelong friend with someone if you can threaten bodily harm from the, in the yes. first five minutes <laughs> yes and by the way it was you threatening bodily harm oh i <laughs> yes i i'm well aware yeah I'm well aware. <laughs> yeah i'm a rabble rouser so anyway Ben, tell us where, uh, what are your humble beginnings? Where'd you come from? What's your story? Let's see. <clears throat> I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati is an interesting place because it's like, you know, it's a, it's a mid-sized city. It's right on the border with Kentucky and Indiana. So it's kind of like Appalachia there, like right outside of Cincinnati. But um, I grew up in the city itself, wonderful like experience growing up there, kind of, you know, I'd say like lower middle class. My mom worked off and on uh, different things, including her own like painting wallpaper hanging business. My dad was kind of in the, you know, in the corporate world um, for a while. I went to Catholic grade school up through sixth grade. Um, Because you're a Catholic or just because it's a good education? No, because my family is Catholic and I think it was a good education and the school was close to where we lived. Well, my brother, I also have a a brother that's uh, seven years older, you know, larger than life, hero worshiping from my standpoint. Um, And so I followed followed in his footsteps in a lot of ways and for a long time. But um, he um, in the seventh or he moved over to a Cincinnati public school, which is called Walnut Hills High School. Um, and then I, I followed in his footsteps and I, in the seventh grade, I moved over to Walnut Hills. That honestly changed my life, uh, in a lot of ways when we get farther into the story, like is a big contributor to, I think, well, who I am now, um, in a lot of ways, but also the work that I do. So Walnut Hills is a Cincinnati public school. You know, I went from this, this small Catholic school, St. Mary's, which, you know, was all white pretty much. And, um, you know, there were like 60 kids in a grade to Walnut Hills High School, which was, uh, it went from seventh to 12th grade. And um, it was, it was, it was diverse and it uh, like representative of, of Cincinnati itself. So I think at that time it was like maybe 55% white, 45% African-American. Also, like I went there in the seventh grade, you know, what is that? Like 13 year old pipsqueak, you're thrown in with like grown men and women, you know, seniors in high school. So it's a bit intimidating at first. And the size of it, there were 2,500 kids. So the size of it was uh, different, but like the school was amazing and really unique, uh, even in the Cincinnati public school system in that it was open and accepting of people of all types, you know, race, race, ethnicity, yes, but like ideas. And so just kind of really like expanded as, as a, as a person, um, and met some of the best friends, you know, in my life that I still have today. That's progressive for that time period. I mean, you're not that old, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, for, yeah, that, yeah. for that time period to have a, a high school society, mm-hmm. if you will, I mean, high school is hell regardless, but to have it be integrated, but also open to gen, you know, wiggly gender norms and all that kind of thing. That's good. That was still, it was, I remember, um, it was like right on the cusp of that. Like, uh, you know, at the school, I think very few people were out as gay or non-heterosexual, but that like started to happen while I was still there. And, you know, the school, you know, was like wide open, accepting of that too. 
That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a big, uh, you know, big experience. Uh, certainly like growing up in Cincinnati that like, yeah, played a, again, played a big role in who I am. Um, from there, I went to, again, following in my brother's footsteps. I went to, uh, uh, well, kind of a different direction. I went to University of Notre Dame. So back to Catholic education, back to predominantly white, but also had amazing experience there. Really more like, um, more the experience of just becoming independent and um, like meeting uh, just kind of like wonderful people, like good people and friends who again are like still friends today. What'd you study um, in college? I studied business. I actually started out in engineering for the first semester and bailed on that uh, primarily because of physics. Uh, the engineering <laughs> level physics courses were, were ferocious. I don't know that I was that into it. I was more into um, I definitely wanted to get a good education, but not at the expense of the social part of it, part of college. Yeah. That school really centers around its football, right? Oh, That's yeah. like a yeah, big thing there. Yeah. Football is huge. Like the, the year revolved around that. It was like great fun, but I'm interesting. And I'm, I'm not the typical Notre Dame grad that is like obsessed with football, uh, and things like that. Whereas like, you know, friends of mine from there spend like hours per day on like football, looking at like high school kids, like bench pressing that are re recruits for <laughs> college football and things like that. And and they, they call me like the, the odd ones for not being so into it. Uh, yeah. I studied, I, I moved from, from engineering early on to business and more of the, the uh, technology side of business. Um, Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do with your life or not so much? Actually, yet? if I'm honest, no. Like I had really like no clue, hadn't given it much thought, um, didn't give it a whole lot of thought, like was kind of, again, following in the footsteps, had something inside of me, like my family, you know, this kind of practical side of me that I knew I wanted to be like employable and get a good, get a good job and things like that. During that time, there was the... Um, was like the original dot com boom, right? So like the original technology boom. That was the nineties, um, right? Mid nineties or something. To like yeah, like late nineties ending yeah. in two two thousand, right when I yeah. like graduated. So, you know, I was fired up about that. Like it was exciting. My brother was in that world too, so I was exposed to it a little bit. And so that's kind of the the direction I went. But again, like really having no clue. Um <laughs> It's interesting that you kept following in your brother's footsteps. Yes. You didn't, it doesn't sound like there was something that you were impassioned by that, that was steering your ship. It was just what, what's going on with big brothers, the hero worshipy thing. That was a big part of it. Yeah. I don't think like I thought about it a lot. Um, I was more, yeah, it, a lot of it was like following in his footsteps. A lot of it, you know, I mean, there were things I were inter I was interested and passionate about, even at that time and in high school, like, you know, I was like making a social impact, like was important to me. Um, oh, that's interesting. How so? Yeah, it was like, what did I do? Or like, what, what, what about it? You know, yes. I think, 
I think part of it, part of it was like Walnut Hills again, and, and like being exposed to like so many different uh, types of people from so many different backgrounds, like starting to realize the different circumstances from which people come and, and challenges uh, that people are faced with. Um, and I think the school, the school also like uh, promoted or supported that as a value kind of service and social impact. I also, I was involved in this youth group at the time too. And that was, you know, that was a part of it as well. You know, so got involved in like different volunteer opportunities and things like that, but saw like, you know, saw the inequities that some of the inequities are out there, even at at this time. And I don't know how much of this is like, no, it's interesting. So you were drawn Mm -hmm. to more social justice things because of what you were seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so about like history passionate about like the natural world you know even back then i i was a kid that like watched bass fishing on tv even though i lived in the city of cincinnati but like none of that you know like decisions that were being made were like more practical and like following in footsteps and things like that you know left college and um um, went into the working world, worked for a small technology company, actually the company where my brother worked. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, you know, at that time, like during this dot-com boom before it like burst, like jobs were everywhere, you know? So, um, yeah, started my first job, lived with one friend from high school, one friend from college in Chicago. And, you know, was goofing around a lot, still like trying to, you know, more or less live that kind of college life. On that mm-hmm. first opportunity, and by the way, just just keep going here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That first. You're doing great. Okay. Good. <laughs> so then, so so then, some some things started to change, which which like started really to change the trajectory of my life. First, like nine months into that first job, or maybe even six months, like the dot-com bu- bubble burst, right? Companies, especially a lot of early like startup technology companies at that time, like started to struggle, including mine, which was a small shop. So like nine months into that, um, like I got laid off, right? Ugh, of my first yeah. job. Yeah. Which was like, well, to be honest, at that time, I was like, sweet, <laughs> like, you know, like So I was like, okay, what, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? Um, and started to look for opportunities that were basically in the same space or area. I did have a wonderful time that summer. <laughs> Uh, it was great and a great place to be. But um, Chicago mm-hmm. is awesome when it's nice out. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I was like 22 years old and we lived like five blocks from Wrigley Field. And um, yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, Lots of fun. But I ended up finding one opportunity. You like a couple in Chicago, but then one with a company which um, no longer exists, but was like a big technology company back then. It's since been kind of gobbled up. But uh, the girls gone wild. It was, yeah. It was, they were launching a big, a big technology platform. Uh, <laughs> um, no, Sun Microsystems, and uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, I helped shape that. It was great. Yeah, 
and, and that required me, like their central headquarters was in Colorado. As a part of the program, like I, ha- I would have to move there for a year, basically like solo. And I'd always, I'd always followed in my brother's footsteps who also lived in Chicago. I always like stayed close to, to friends, things like that. But this was a good opportunity. And, um, you know, when I first thought about it, I was like, no way I can't, you know, like, I'm not going to leave. I ultimately like I made the decision to do it. And so I moved to Colorado, like 22 years old, completely solo, not knowing anyone, anyone there. First grown up moment, really. Really, it was. Yeah. I mean, thinking back now, like part of it was the opportunity, like it was a good opportunity, good company. But like part of it was like, I don't know, wanting to break out a little bit, uh, to be honest, and like, um, chart my own path a little bit, I think. Uh, also, you know, I was excited about Colorado. I spent close to a year there. It was sweet. I mean, it was like a great opportunity. We were in like, I was with, you know, it was like this kind of leadership program and was with 11 other 22 year olds. And we were mostly getting trained. So didn't have like a huge amount of responsibility the opportunity was all like funded by the company and stuff. So got to live in Colorado and, you know, make some new friends. Yeah. I mean, it was scary. It was certainly scary at first. I remember the first day I got there, like just feeling this sense of anxiety, like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, what have I, what have I done? Like, I don't know anybody. Um, Like, what do I do? But it ended up being amazing and like an amazing experience. And, that's where I got into fly fishing, which has become my a p- passionate obsession. Like the deal was like, I found the job in Chicago. Like you go out to Colorado, get trained and then come back to Chicago. Um, and that, that like, you know, in my mind reduced the risk initially, you know, but the thing is that company was also impacted by the economy and the like, uh, you know, technology bubble bursting. And, um, so while I was out there, that opportunity, the opportunity in Chicago, like got like terminated, no longer available. So <clears throat> I had to choose, um, I had to choose between like other locations. And um, the two that were offered to me were Detroit and Cleveland. Um, and, and so <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> at the time, um, I ended up choosing um, Detroit uh, because I had a good friend from college that lived in Ann Arbor. And so I moved there, you know, like I think started to grow up a little bit there, had some more like real responsibility. Um, Did you feel like you were in, because now I obviously I know what you do now. So I'm I'm Mm -hmm. baiting, baiting it. But Mm -hmm. uh, did you start to have a sense a feeling that this isn't really my life? Yes. This isn't really, yeah. I did. I did even at the first job. I was with all friends from college and, you know, so I just didn't think about it that much. I really like at Sun and in, in Detroit and Ann Arbor, which I loved. And I love that area and love that area to this day. But um, I really started to feel that way there. Um, like this, I just had this like nagging sense of like, this isn't what I want to be doing. I'm not sure what it is I want to be doing. Um, but, um, I was pretty sure this wasn't it long, long term. So two years in, I actually, it's funny actually with AJ, and I don't know if you know this, 
we we planned this together. He was kind of in the same boat um, working for for uh, another company. And we were both ready to like make a transition, not feeling like we were headed in the right direction. And he and I and one other guy, Nate, you know, Nate. Yeah, he, but, he um, and, and his wife. I love them. They have great kids. Yeah, they That's do. Awesome. All of us decided to quit our jobs. And we all traveled to South America together. And Nate stayed for like two months. AJ stayed for three. And then I stayed for six, actually an additional three months. And so we traveled between like um, uh, Chile, Argentina, and then those guys left. And then I went to uh, Peru uh, and back to Argentina for a while. What made um, you do all that? Why, and why did you stay? Was it um, for love? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't for love. It wasn't for love. Um <laughs> I like, I don't know for sure, but it was this sense of like, it was me trying to like, I think, um, break out of this path that I was on where I'm like doing things, you know, maybe for other people though, they're not necessarily pushing me in that way, but I'm doing things like to follow in footsteps and, and, and to kind of like break off that path. Also like, you know, wanting some adventure, like wanting more exposure to the world, incredibly lucky to be in a position to do that, do something like that. But yeah, I, I, it was like, you know, another step. I mean, I think the, the, the move to Colorado was the first, and then this was like the next step in trying to like break this, figure out what I wanted or break this like, um, trajectory. What were you starting to learn about yourself during that? I think I was starting to learn, um, you know, I was starting to learn that I, I, I think I had like in little ways and big ways, like I was a peacemaker, pleaser, whatever in life. And so <clears throat> I was doing things often, I think, like for other people, you know, to meet their needs, or at least as I perceived them and less, less my own to the point where like, I wasn't necessarily even reflecting on my own needs or, or what I wanted. Um, which is why I think like in college, like I was clueless as to what I like wanted to do with my life. So I think that was part of the reason maybe without fully consciously knowing it, the reason that I did that. Um, and also what I was starting to like learn about myself and then just being, being in South America first, I mean, the, with Nate and AJ, like it was incredibly fun. <laughs> I can um, only imagine. <laughs> yeah. An incredible experience to have with such good friends. And I mean, like we were spending every second together. I mean, and you get to know people like, you know, extremely well. I can tell um, that even just seeing you and AJ around each other. I think I said it to either one or both of you that you behave like brothers. You be- you behave like you have surpassed the level of friendship to to I love you regardless, you're pissing me off right now, or I love yes. you, we're going to do this crazy stuff, you know, whatever it is. Yes, uh, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with yeah. that. Like, um, and that was a big part of that. I remember he and I, like, we'd spent so much time together, we would like, go to a bar and like, get a beer and like, sit there in complete silence for like two hours. And like, did not feel awkward at all. Like we, because we like, 
you know, spent so much time together. We're so comfortable with each other. Didn't even like, didn't have anything left to chat about anyway. And like, <laughs> did, didn't care, you know? Um, that is but, a um, male talent to be able to sit for hours it? without speaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, would be like, so hey, what about that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, then those guys left and I, you know, I purposely like stayed longer because like I'd made this big jump and wanted to continue the experience. I also wanted to like, I mean, it was kind of like a challenge for myself too. Like it's, it's easier in that experience where you have these great friends to like rely on and that's who you hang out with the most and that and they speak English just like you. Um, so I, I guess I wanted to push myself beyond that and like immerse myself in the experience a little bit more and um, did that. And then the other thing I'll say about it to your question is like, there were no, this is like before cell phones were really prevalent. And so we went there and didn't have cell phones. Um, and there were like internet cafes and things like that, but we had like, we had phone cards and went up on public phones to call home. And it was like, it was also this incredible sense of freedom where you were like solo. Um, I am making the decisions I want to make. I am like completely charting my own path. Um, and that was like, an, that was an incredible part of the experience. Yeah. Um, That's why so, I want to do the Camino someday. That's on my bucket what's list. What's the Camino again? It's uh, the walk. Uh, it's like through Spain and France. and Oh, yeah. The, the spiritual walk. Oh, the pilgrimage. It. It's a pilgrimage. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, you should yeah. do it. I will someday. Yeah. <laughs> so then I finally had to come back at some point. You know, funds started to dry up. Um, and, um, and then I came back, came back to Chicago. Um, still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Joined like another um, technology company. Um, but this time in different roles, more in like sales and marketing um, for, a, for a small but, but stable technology company. And so I did that for, I don't know, three or four or five years, probably. That must have and been so weird to come out of uh, that experience of six months of that traveling into it was weird because Real you get life, to be quote, quote. It, it was weird because you like getting this cool peace peaceful like state and then like um like free-spirited state and then come back into that world um is hard uh was hard mm -hmm. but again like a very lucky problem to have sure of course but uh so you know i joined this company <clears throat> and like did real well there and like had fun and like it certainly pushed me professionally in ways I'd never been pushed like had tough um you know good but like tough bosses um like sales pushed me in a way and in a way I hadn't been before and put kind of it's a it's a certain type of pressure um too in that world um especially for uh, a people pleaser for a a sales it was person hard. who's yeah, that's a strange mix of personality type. But very good actually for me to like like skills to learn and to kind of learn to overcome that to some degree. Yeah. Always but, be closing. Oh A B C. That's all that matters. What are your numbers? <laughs> but 
then, then again, like before long, that same feeling, like I had at Sun Microsystems, that like nagging feeling of like, I, the work is challenging. I work with good people, like, but just for me, this is not the right fit. Like, I want to do something that's more like meaningful for me, but still really didn't have much of a clue as to what that was. So I went on um, really this like, ex- and meanwhile, I was living in Chicago with friends and actually the friend, this other friend, VJ, who I went to college with, that's who I lived with in Michigan. I came back and lived with, and we lived, we were roommates in Chicago too. Another, another, you know, one of my really, really good friends. In fact, we lived together for six years. I mean, wow. that's like, a, yeah, six years. Um, and so how old are you at this point in the story? At this point, I'm like, um, I probably started at that company and got, or got back from South America when I was like 25, 25 to like 29, 30. I'm curious um, if you have this feeling that you're not exactly doing whatever it is you're supposed to do. And on top of that, not knowing what that is, did that yeah. affect other areas of your life? Um, yeah, it did. I think like, I mean, there was some like anxiety involved there, um, for sure. Just like, you know, feeling kind of unsettled or uneasy about it. Um, and that anxiety would like, you know, manifest too, like in other, in other ways, but like, yeah, just knowing that that wasn't right, but not knowing where to go either. Yeah. Sure. Especially in a, in a, in a world, uh, you know, in America where we're taught be the cog, you go and you do the thing and you help yeah. the, the greater machine work its, its thing. Yeah. And you're not supposed to question it. You just, you grow up, you go get a job, yeah. you get a family, you do all that stuff, but there are yeah. outliers. And for the yes. outliers, it's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable pair of shoes to be wearing. Yeah, it is. And that was my experience. And it, it kind of felt like that was always there in me. Um, and, and going through my life and I have friends like, and I, and I respect people that choose the path of like, you know, that other path you just described, like, yeah, total respect for that, you know, like, and everybody is entitled to their own happiness. And and absolutely for some people, the sweater isn't scratchy. Yeah. Right. And and going in that direction, like, (laughs) yeah, I could like, there are days in my life where I wish I was <laughs> like, able I to go totally that. get that. Yes. I um, completely. Understand I've never that. been that type of person, you know? Yeah. Um, well, so I launched into this like career exploration process and I actually got a like career coach who I worked with for probably over a year, just someone to kind of help me like sort this out. Like what are my values? Like what's important to me? What are things that I might want to consider doing? And like getting to know myself a little bit better. And, you know, this woman was like really helpful and amazing. And I kept coming back to, kept coming back to wanting to make a social impact. You know, the the purpose in the work I had been doing, like that, or at least the lack of underlying purpose, uh, like that was a big issue for me. And so, and then like education, for some reason, I think this had a lot to do with like my experience at Walnut Hills and like how wonderful it was and how impactful it can be. Um, Like I kept coming back to education 
you know? So I started, I started to explore like being a teacher, being a like school counselor. I grew up in this like family where money was tight. One of my values was like financial security and like frugality. They should make a lot more money, but teachers and school counselors don't make that much money and their earnings potential aren't, you know, isn't. Um, and so that was like a concern or a risk for me. But anyway, I was going to make this. And, and I, 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 it's not like through that career counseling process, we came to this, like, you figured it out. This is it. You know, you're going to be like a fireman. No, um, it was like, <laughs> it wasn't, it was never that clear, but I like made, I, I, I was still going to have to take a leap. Um, and I decided I want to take, wanted to take this leap into education. And so I started to apply to graduate school because I really had no credibility or ex experience in education itself. And I applied to a bunch of different schools and I actually, so I <clears throat> actually, and I took forever to take the GRE, you know, my friends made fun of me cause I like, drug it out for so long, but, um, <laughs> I applied to different schools and I got in. And I, I was actually thinking I would be like a school counselor. And I actually got in uh, to the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Um, and I was looking for other schools, like, you know, different things, um, but things, you know, like work out for a reason. Um, I got in there, but it was, it was for a program that was really, it was called like risk and prevention at the time. It was like to prepare people to be like school counselors. It was also a one-year program. And I was at a point in my life, like 30s, where like, I don't know, I wasn't interested in having like another universe, like college experience. I wanted to make it count and, and get on with it. And so the one-year program was attractive. Um, but so I went back. It's funny, I started this program, Risk and Prevention, and realized almost immediately had this other nagging feeling um like this is not becoming a school counselor and i was working in a um i was working in a boston public school to kind of as like a like almost an intern. Like it was yeah kind of like an internship um i was like this isn't this isn't right you know and i had like a panicked moment about that and maybe this is something i was learning on the way like you know, thinking back, like I, 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 when I had that instinct, that gut instinct, like in my life, I have taken action on it, you know, um, rather than just like push disregarded or push through it. Um, so I went through this big kind of rigmarole at the, um, at the university um, to, to switch programs, actually. So I switched from risk and prevention to this other, um, it was called education policy and management. It was stressful. They were, they were only so-so on letting me do it, but I pushed hard. And um, so made that shift and then felt like, you know, at that point, that was the right place. Um, and really, really realized at that point that, you know, working in schools, I have tremendous respect for those folks, um, but that wasn't going to be the right fit for me. And I wanted to kind of bring, um, I don't know, the strategy, like technology work, like some of the skills and experience I had, like into my work moving forward. 
in education. Um, so I, and I, there was also something like happening in me at the time or that happened through this experience where in college, like I didn't, I didn't honestly like put that much effort forth. Like I wasn't, um, and I don't think anyone, anyone would have described me as like, you know, the most motivated person. Yeah. Um, and, and would never have described me as like type a, um, not that, you know, type a is a thing to be, but I think I was more, <clears throat> I think that, uh, like kind of people pleasing peacemaker part of me, um, youngest um, child, baby. <laughs> exactly. It led me to kind of you know, push some of that down and like also, um, you know, because of that, I think people's expectations of me were that I w like, wasn't that, you know? Um, and that yeah. like pissed me off actually. Mm -hmm. Um, it really, it really made me mad because like, I knew, I don't know. I was like, you I knew, knew what you I were wanted, capable of. Yeah. I knew I was capable of, yeah. um, I wanted to accomplish a lot. And like, I didn't like that people didn't, didn't have that perception of me. Um, Would you say that that when you stood up to to switch over at Harvard that you that was the first time you were really putting putting your voice out there and um, it was the first time I was putting my voice out there and the first time I was like like really kind of pushing myself hard and like um. And like really ag like aggressively trying to figure out what I wanted to do and the impact I wanted to make and like being like proactive and aggressive about getting there. It's like you woke up it. from a dream or something. Kind you were of, sleeping kind of. for a long yeah, time. Kind of. And by the way, during this time too, like before I'd left, right before I'd left, I'd met Allison, who had become my wife. And so I was also, we were, we remained together like long distance, um, while I was going through this and, and not only just like the school experience, but this experience in life too. So I finished up that program, you know, did well. And, but then I was like, yeah, I don't know. My whole outlook on things had kind of changed. And that's really when my, you know, like my career and life changed in a big way. I, I did go back to Chicago uh, here's an example of, you know, kind of the action that I was taking or like, you know, being much more like aggressive about it. So there was an organization called the Chicago Public Education Fund that I'd like identified, heard about and, and wanted to work for. But it was a small organization like directed by some big um, kind of a who's who in Chicago and the corporate and, and civic communities um, like really highly regarded, worked really closely with like city and Chicago public schools leadership. And, you know, they were looking pe for people with like my type of experience, you know? Um, so I, it was like, you know, a professional crush, like I wanted to work there. Um, but they, it was a small shop and they don't, they, there were no openings or anything like that. But um, <clears throat> there was this like new um, almost like fellowship program, um, 
like a non that a nonprofit organization called Education Pioneers had rolled out. And what I found out was that actually the Chicago Public Education Public Education Fund was one of their partners. And so they were bringing on, they would bring on like a summer fellow mm. um, through that program. So I applied for that program. Um, and, you know, there was this intensive interview process, got into that program. And then I influenced the Chicago or like the Midwest executive director to like, I was like, I want to be placed at the Chicago Public Education Fund. And I got it. I was placed there. And then um, just for the summer with no, um, you know, expectation or promise of like a full-time position. Um, And then, you know, I like worked hard that summer and pushed, you know, expressed my interest to want to like join the team and then was brought on um, that team and ended up working there for six years um, <clears throat> at the organization. So all that said, like I was driven by this new like sense of like motivation and wanting to make an impact. And, um, but it was hard because like, I was, I was like starting back entry level, you know, and I took like a big salary cut and like all of this, you know, from, from the work I'd been doing before. And so for those first couple of years, I was like, what have I done? You know, like, what did I do? Like, um, and was like, you know, always in this position of like fighting to kind of feeling like I was undervalued, you know, because and like, I could do more, but I'm entering this new sector and space and, and not necessarily getting those opportunities. Like as time went on, um, yeah, started to get deeper in the work, um, started to gain more credibility and like increasingly more responsibility, uh, five or six years and, and like really start to do some incredible work. My, my kind of experience at, at, uh, the Chicago public education fund, um, and in Chicago public schools then really kind of shaped my like theory of change and my beliefs on um, in the world of education about, yeah, I I guess what I think needs to happen to (laughs) the types of change that needs to happen in education and kind of how that needs to happen. What sort of things did you see while you were there? Well, the first half of my time there, I was working with, um, we were, we were almost, we had this insider outsider relationship with, um, we're an independent organization, but work really closely with Chicago public schools leadership. You know, lots of great smart people worked there, but it was also, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was specifically a crazy time. Like in five or six years, they had five different CEOs or superintendents, right? So, um, it's an enormous no, not a good sign. It's an enormous, enormous organization, like, you know, multi-billion dollar operate annual operating budget, like huge 40, 50,000 employees. Um, and their, their, their stance is to get into the Chicago schools and better them. Correct. Help they facilitate my, children learning I'm, better. I'm, and Chicago public schools. It was that big of an organization. My organization was much smaller, but yes, that was our approach was to support Chicago public schools and really from the focus of supporting like talent, teachers and principals. 
right? Um, so in the first half of my time there, we were really working closely with leadership and I worked on like district-wide talent strategy, right? And how it works and how that uh, that work rolled out was like, and I worked specifically on teacher evaluation. So kind of uh, there was a big federal program to rethink how teachers are evaluated in schools um, in a way that was you know, much more performance-based, um, but also in a way that provided meaningful feedback for teachers' growth, you know? How do you so, even get teachers excited and in, in certainly many of schools across America are failing? But how do you get teachers excited or even principals to be a part of a system that is crumbling from the foundation up, especially when they're not being paid what they should be paid and in some cities, it's a dangerous work. You know, there's yeah. kids, kids all learn differently. And to try and put 60 kids in a classroom with one teacher and one assistant is mind boggling. They have to pay for their own, you know, supplies. I mean, there's a list that it's Sisyphean at best. Yeah, it's a tough, tough job. And in some ways, like, I have so much respect for teachers and principals um, everywhere, but certainly in Chicago public schools, you know, it's still like job and a good job in, in a lot of ways, like a good job, like financially, right. Um, in, in some ways, you know, overwhelmingly the teachers and principals and the folks that I met, like cared about their work, you know, um, Absolutely. you would have um, to, to yeah, take on would. a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you would. Um, and they, they wanted to better serve students and they wanted to improve their craft, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Overwhelmingly. But what I learned in that first, so how do you, your question, like how do you engage or get teachers and principals excited about it? Well, <clears throat> I think kind of the way we did it was not that much at all. <laughs> so it was, you know, um, you know, what I saw there, we did put as much effort, we, we, did launch a big like educator teacher engagement effort there. What happens often in education is like, um, at least in my experience, is is like the you know de decisions are made by policymakers or by leaders in the system, or sometimes folks even outside of the system. And they're they're smart people, and like they're also very well intentioned people. They make those decisions. This is the problem. This is the solution. And then that gets pushed down to schools and classrooms and communities. One, it happens over and over and over in education this way. And, um, you know, often at least, I think a lot of those, a lot of what gets pushed down really, first, the folks on the ground who actually have to implement it, like, yeah. didn't, have a say, didn't have a say in it, right? right. And it's all, right. It also has... In, in lots of cases has dramatic impacts on their jobs, right? And in, in daily life. And so regardless, if it's the best policy or best model or best strategy, like when rolled out that way, um, and because there's, you know, this has happened so much historically in education, like, you know, at times there's all out resistance, you know, and Chicago mm -hmm. has seen that a lot you know, at best, like the buy-in or support is weak. And, and a lot of times those solutions don't really 
you know, fully consider the realities of implementation and weren't created in ways that did engage educators and other folks in the community, like on the front end. And you're stuck in the middle, I'm sure. And that's got to be... Well, at that point in time, like, I didn't have that perspective so much. I was like, you know, this is, this makes sense. Teacher evaluation makes sense. Like the recommendations we're making, like the, the system that Chicago is setting up is like, actually thoughtful and elegant in some ways and and you know um has the intention of being like fair um for educators but a step forward you know you know when rolled out in that way with um what i think without you know it just leads to like weak buy-in and support and um no matter how good it is like if that isn't there the results aren't going to be there either and so I kind of saw that view, right, of of education and had studied it enough to see that that's how things happen a lot in education. Um, so in the second half of my time there, um, we, um, you know, there's kind of this growing or resurgence of this movement around like innovation and innovation and education and how we approach it. I was excited about that. And, um, and technology was a big part of that. Like technology has, had never really, you know, like the way it has in other sectors had not really like penetrated or scratched the surface of education. Do you mean technology that every kid has a laptop technology or just placing computer labs in the school? Cause obviously no. there are kids that are poor and can't afford internet. So they, can, they don't have access when they're home. Well, so those types of things, yes, but I'm talking about like, I guess I'm talking more about like software. So um, ways that support teachers to, I mean, you talked about one teacher to 30 students, one teacher, you know, two teachers to like 60 students, like right. it is an impo- it's impossible. And, and you have this group of students that comes in that, you know, if you're teaching the third grade, you know, which is that that's another holdover in the system anyway, like. Uh, grouping grouping kids together by just purely based on age, you know, it was just developed a hundred years ago because it was a, an efficient way to move kids through school. But yeah. you have kids in the third grade, like on any given concept, on any given thing, you know, like yeah. that are on eighth grade level, first grade level. Um, and yeah. for one teacher to be able to address those needs for 30 students, it's almost, it's, it's impossible. an impossible job. Yeah. But um, technology held, and you know, some of this is proving out. I think, um, like, holds huge, huge promise to like increase teachers' abilities or effectiveness to start to address those more individualized needs for students and learning styles um, uh, and things like that in ways you know no one person could do on, on their own. So anyway, this is something that I got super excited about. And, you know, the organization that the Chicago Public Education Fund got excited about too. And so um, I helped launch a new priority for the organization, which was focused on uh, innovation in schools. And where it was so different from the work we'd done previously is that it was, of course, we had buy-in and support from leadership in Chicago Public Schools, but it was much more at the school and community level. So it was really focused on engaging teams of principals and teachers in different communities um, 
you know, a big part of it was mindset. Everyone had been working, everybody's has been working in schools that look a certain way in a system <clears throat> that looks a certain way and, you know, is pretty compliance driven, compliance focused, not really, you know, focused on standardization, not really on, on innovation and, and risk taking. For folks to, to start to do that in schools, to start to do that on their own is not really a reasonable expectation, you know, after they've spent so much, some, some are ready for that, but um, after you've spent so much time in this one model, in this one system that looks a certain way to like, you know, move outside of that without help uh, is really challenging. So we started to actually create programs and supports that um, really put folks in schools you know, with support, with a structured process, like, and, you know, we used a lot of design thinking, things like that, support them to, um, and give them agency, empower them in ways that they hadn't been before to actually like, you know, identify the problems that they and their students were facing in their schools and help them, help them more deeply understand those problems. And Mm -hmm. then, um, help them determine determine different solutions to address those problems, right? Which were often, you know, creative or different or innovative, especially compared to the ways they were addressing those problems before. First, what we found when we approached, I mean, at the beginning, we didn't even know how to talk about it, how to get people interested in it. Like, we're calling people like, please sign up for this, you know, <clears throat> people we knew, but what we found is that, and, and, and we were giving like little grants too, for people to participate. Yeah. Um, that always helps, right? <laughs> it does, it does help. And it helps like, and it's, and it's, you know, they're, they're committing extra time to do this and like, it's respectful of their time and, and effort, you know, like yeah. to do this. Um, but I think what we found and like, what I found is like, when you approach folks in that way, um, when you approach teachers and principals and community members in that way, like empowering them, um, <clears throat> but with support and guidance, you know, starting small, um, but in, and not only focused on like the operational components, but also like kind of the mindset, like, look, just because schools have looked this way in the past, it doesn't mean that's the way it has to be moving forward, you know? Um, so to kind of push outside of that, and even creating space for a principal and a team of three to five teachers to like work together and actually think about this stuff. The response was incredible. Mm-hmm. And the, the value of the experience for these folks, um, regardless of what they created, you know, in that first short three month program, um, the experience like was something that they raved about. And what we found it what we found is like <clears throat> as word started to get out um, about this experience and that our organization was genuine in providing this experience and empowering educators and giving them agency, like more and more people wanted to do it. And the demand for it went through the roof to like in year two, we had 40 schools participate from 17 year one, and then year three we had 80. And like five years down the road after I left the organization, like 
you know, 120 schools apply per year. That's like that's like a sixth of Chicago public schools. Were you seeing it? Uh, were you seeing on the other side of it, kids getting more excited about learning and and maybe going forward into a four-year colleges, things like that? Was well, that um, making a difference? So the the work that I was talking about is just the beginning, right? So it's just about um, getting you know the educators and community members and the the folks that have the potential to make that impact that you're talking about first getting them engaged. Um, but what we saw also is like once they got engaged and saw the potential, many um, <clears throat> many wanted to go deeper um, mm -hmm. and start to kind of you know rethink schools, rethink instruction in much more comprehensive ways. That's what agency um, does, isn't it? That's it right. Creates space. That's right. Agency yeah. creates space for for new ideas and for giving someone a fire in their belly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, when when you when we um, actually gave them to, um, the opportunity to like identify the biggest challenges that they were facing. It was, it, they were the same challenges that we were trying to address already. Like, it's not like, you know, they, they know it, can, it comes up every time they know they can't like, I have all these kids with different needs. Like I, it's, it's really challenging. I can't meet those needs, you know? Um, yeah. Um, um, so, you know, almost every teacher will, you know, comes to that conclusion or already knows that. And like, yeah. and so, but giving them the opportunity to, you know, come to that uh, conclusion themselves and, and explore it more deeply. Um, that process is critical to yeah. openness. Um, and moving forward. So, I mean, I think about that too, like with the, the way that the state of education is in America, if we paid our teachers more and we provided, made it exciting, a field that drew more people so that we could have a decent small class with teachers that can give more individualized train, you know, lesson plans and teaching that within two generations, the entire face of this nation would be different. Yeah. of what its capabilities would be, the innovation yeah. that would come from it, the creativity that would come from it, the, the, the work, the, all of it would completely change within two generations. Yeah, yes. It seems like such a no-brainer. It's, like, it's like, God, why is it so hard to... Well, sometimes I feel that way too. So this experience, so a lot of those folks that started in this small program, and that was about, I always talk about like activating demand. Um you know, they then went on um, through different programs, some of which we created um, um, and others through, you know, other local national partners to actually kind of rethink, redesign their entire schools. So mm -hmm. everything from school schedules, what teachers roles are, to how they're delivering instruction, to how they're creating more collaborative um, innovative cultures in their schools, um, how they're engaging parents. And some of those are held, uh, you know, some of those still today are held up as, as national models. Um, <clears throat> but really this experience in seeing like this close work with teachers and principals and going to their schools and, you know, seeing it for myself and, and, you know, working with them through this process 
and seeing the impact that it has, you know, both both for the people and and really that this kind of like different approach to change has, it 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 completely shifted my thinking on education and also dramatically increased my like optimism on the potential to improve education overall. If That's we start good. Yeah. <laughs> if we start to That's think differently to about how we approach it. Um, yeah. To some degree. Is that, um, is that what you took with you? So now you're at Forward Arkansas. Is that the yeah. same? Is it the same idea that you're doing there or is this it, a whole it is. new thing? Yeah, it is. So I, I took a, I spent a couple of years then at an ed tech company and then, um, had the opportunity to launch, uh, uh, a small foundation that was focused on, um, similar things and, um, really kind of crystallized the thinking, um, around how we approach, uh, how we approach change, how we, you know, engage, um, people at all levels, you know, from leadership down to principals, teachers, parents, um, you know, in, in approaching school differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we did projects in different states and different contexts. Um, so, you know, rural and suburban. Um, and it, it all played out in the same way, to be honest. Did you also ask kids themselves? Because I, I, I think teachers do see a lot, but the really getting down and saying, hey, how do you learn? What do you feel? What is, what's going on with you? And giving the children agency as well in conjunction yeah. with, and partnership with the teacher. Absolutely. Um, and a big part of, um, I mean, I don't think, so we did some of that work ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. at, in Chicago and at future uh, organizations. But um, that was also part of the experience too that we created for um, for the people that went through the programs that we created too. So, you know, they call it um, in the design thinking world, it's like empathy work. So almost like shadowing a student, um, engaging with students, um, understanding, you know, not just at school, but from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, what their experience is like in life. Um, and then in school, all of that informing, all of that informing then, um, yeah, a deeper understanding of the challenges that you're actually facing and like how to approach them. But so to your question, uh, yes, I, uh, long story, but a year and a half ago, we moved to Arkansas. Um, happy to get into that if you want. Um, <laughs> I could have, I, I would have never imagined to, you know, two years ago. That's a big jump. <laughs> it is a big jump. It is a big jump. Chicago, we were in Boston for four or five years and then moved to Arkansas. I mean, that's some and, culture and shock was, probably. You know, it's a beautiful ways, country yeah. though. It's a beautiful part oh, of the country. Cool. I, I love yeah. it here. Um, Good for fishing, I suppose, too. Amazing for fishing and just outdoors in general. You know, there's a lot uh, going on. It's a beautiful place. Um, we've, it, you know, it feels feels like home already in a lot of ways. Like it's um, first, it's unique in that 
there are a lot of resources here and a lot of a lot of folks invested in in the state and in making the state better um and a lot of resources in comparison to or like relative to the size of the state that it is right um and then also back to that like scale um it's it's um it's not an enormous state right there are 260 school district, 270 school districts in the state, um, a thousand schools total in the state. And just for comparison, Chicago has 600 schools, just the city. Um, and just so from a scale perspective, it's approachable and, um, and kind of the, it's, it, it has politics, it has layers. Um, I've found it to be, um, you know, a little bit less complex, a little bit less saturated from some of those other places. So um, I just feel like the opportunity here is incredible. And um, so I joined this organization, Forward Arkansas, about six or seven months ago. Um, and, um, you know, I it, it is probably the clearest example of um, in my life of, of like things happening for a reason or, you know, on this path, like me moving to Arkansas, like two years ago, this wasn't even a, uh, an idea. And two years later, I'm in Arkansas with a fully Arkansas focused job. Yeah, and you found it's, a it's purpose. Inc- you've, you've found who you are and what your purpose is Yeah, along yeah, the way. I, I love it. It's a, it's a dream job, um, for me. And the, um, you know, the, I've said this a few times, like you go through interview processes and like, you never get the full story, you know? So, um, um, about the organization or context or history or things like that. So, and I'm not naive, I know that. Yeah. So I'm expecting to get the full story afterwards, but the full story has been overwhelmingly positive. The board is amazing and diverse. The team is solid and, um, there is like a s- support for and hunger for this type of like change and innovation. Uh, you know, among our organization, our board, our funders, um, but just in the state overall. And there, you know, in in individual communities, there is an openness to support. Um, and by the way, I started this job during COVID. So that was you know, challenging because not only are we trying to rethink our vision and strategy longer term, but, um, you know, we're in this position where we need to play an active role in supporting schools and communities and kids, families through what is, you know, one of the greatest challenges we've faced, um, as a country or from an education perspective. Um, yeah, absolutely. So trying to balance that, but um, all of that work that I talked about in Chicago and, and beyond, yeah, we're, we're bringing that here. Um, and so it is very much um, about catalyzing, supporting, you know, communities and districts, you know, in, in innovating in like identifying, you know, setting a vision and identifying um, how they might, the barriers to achieving that vision and how they might approach it differently. 
right, for their students, thinking much more broadly about the needs of students that we're trying that we're trying to address. So the world has changed dramatically since this, since schools and this education system were designed, right? What kids need, what people need to have opportunities um, in life and in career has changed dramatically too. But the experience students have in schools, um, this isn't, I'm not saying there hasn't been a lot of movement and there aren't like incredible examples, but like largely, um, you know, I don't think has kept pace with those changing needs. And so a big part of it is about, we need to rethink those approach to rethink these approaches to like meet this broader set of needs, which is beyond reading and math. Those are important still, but you know, we know people and kids need other skills like creativity and collaboration and communication and social emotional skills and learning self-management self-awareness and they need exposure to and access to diverse career opportunities and by the way um, what that looks like may look a little bit different in every community and um, and we you know equity is a huge focus and value of our organization so um, uh, you know, how do we do that, um, for communities and those students that need it most? Well, I think, I think back, you know, to what we were talking about earlier with economics, that not all children are created equal in the realm of economics. You know, some come from very poor yeah. families and some very wealthy. And of course, historically, if you're in a wealthy family, your education is a hundred to a thousand times better. Yes. And all the other opportunities, your, your education in school, yeah. the school is yeah. better and all of the other opportunities surrounding yeah. that. Right. And what um, comes next and what jobs you're offered and how all of it. Your, and also networks, relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, um, an unconscious, I think, bias sometimes with uh, teachers, with kids that they don't. I mean, I experienced that in my junior high I saw how the kids who were maybe not from very stable economic backgrounds, how the teachers would treat them as less than, and that does yes. happen too. So there's That's a, a huge, whole huge issue. Yeah. Um, microaggressions, things like that, where, um, and expectations are a huge, huge issue. Um, we need to have high and the same expectations for every student um, and expect that they will that every student can achieve those expectations. If you don't, then um, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to treat kids differently. Um, and, and they will believe that too. You know, they will believe um, they will not have that, those expectations of themselves, you know? Right. For um, sure. So that's complicated, a huge part of it. It's so simple. <laughs> it's complicated and simple. Um, I mean, I have big visions, big plans, high hopes. Like, I, I, I do think the potential is here. I mean, we're going to uh, approach it in the same way. It's, it's really, you know, work with communities, uh, engaging communities, but providing support, taking action, um, you know, doing the same with other, you know, partners in this education space or ecosystem. 
Um, but then we also play a role at the policy and systems level too. But, um, um, you know, doing that in a collaborative, supportive way, but also taking all, all of what we learn and all the work that we do in communities across the state, first telling those stories, like storytelling, like here's what, here's what happens when you approach it in a different way, or here's what can happen even in these, you know, communities that, that people, um, you know, don't expect it to happen in these struggling uh, communities, but then taking all of that and what we learn and then influencing, influencing um, state policy and state strategy um, in a w- in ways that more effectively align with needs that people have on the ground. Yeah. So if uh, other states catch wind and do they reach out to you or are you the, the guy now, the architects of better education? So yeah. No, no, we're not. Um, I think, uh, I hope we get to a place where other states, um, I mean, I want to, you know, Arkansas is um, by the, the standards or measures that we have um, is, is towards the end of the list you know, towards the bottom of the list um, in education performance. Um, there are flaws in those measures, but um, for sure, but... Um, You're saying you know, the list being the national list of the where The national they list fall. of states, yeah. like education yeah. performance, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. My goal is, you know, I want... I, I've, I've only lived here for a year and a half, but I already feel this way. Like I want Arkansas to be a leader and be seen as a leader. And, and, and I think... I truly believe it's possible and I'm impatient about it too. Like I want to make it happen fast and I think it can. So we're not, we're, we're not seen that way yet. Um, We still, I'm only six months in, so we have a lot, a lot to accomplish and execute on here and we have to do this work here, but um, my goal, thank you. My goal is that we are, we, we are, uh, and Arkansas does become a national leader. Um, and I think it's, I think it's possible. And I, and I want, hopefully it is a leader in demonstrating the potential of this like different approach to change. Tell people how they can find you if they have questions or maybe they want to uh, start implementing some of these ideas yeah, in their um, towns, in their states. Well, our website, if you want to learn more, forwardarkansas.org so that just those those two words um we're revamping our website so some of the information on there should change soon but if they want to find me um best way to reach me um would be probably through email uh ben just ben catillo at gmail.com first and last name k-u-t-y-l-o uh ben catillo yep and I'll put links to, to stuff that we've talked about to all of this and to find you through Hey Human Podcast as well so that mm-hmm. people can. It's exciting and I'm hopeful. It, it's so important. I I know that people like to give, the, these days at least, it feels like education is vilified. Knowing things feels vilified a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but it really, you learn who you are by learning about lots of different things and when people are excited about your curiosity and feed that curiosity at the level where you are 
-hmm. It allows you to grow in a healthy way, in a confident way. Confidence is everything when you're a kid. And it's so hard to find that dominion as a kid over oneself, over one's mind, over one's action. Yes. And, you know, it's, um, we, we have this system that is, you know, in a lot of ways, it's one size fits all. And that's the way it was built. And it worked yeah. when it was originally designed. And yeah, um, it just doesn't anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't work for every kid. And it doesn't work mm-hmm. uh, for kids that enter from more challenging circumstances, too. And, yeah. and, and the thing is, there's, there's an opportunity to change it. Like we can change it. Um, there's, yeah. there's nothing stopping us, but history and, um, you know, I, uh, uh, quite a bit of inertia too, but, um, but like, it's changeable. Yeah, I believe so. And it's I'm changeable. a good example of this because I barely graduated junior high and high school. I geeked out with, I think a one seven, I think, and that's probably being generous, but I really wanted to go to college. I hated junior high and high school. I, I didn't, did not fit in at all. The way I learn and the way things that I was excited about was not what was happening around me. Um, I got kicked out of classes for having opinions about literature, you know, things like that. Really? Just, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was, I was, yeah. And when I went to college, I, I went to Western Washington, Bellingham. And there I got, except for one pre-calculus class, I got all A's because finally it was a kind of learning that it was, yeah. that my brain loved. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big believer that kids learn in an individual way. And sure, there there's probably the average, you know, circle of kids that are, in the same boat and are learning the same way, but it's again, those outliers, but those outliers change the world. And if we let them slip through the cracks, we are as humanity, we are in trouble. Yeah. Agreed. Um, And I, I would say it's more than like outliers. It's most like every. I mean, outliers from the average kids that are just like doing well and like getting their homework done. And I mean that and, and can yeah. and are successful in this system, but even they, yeah. um, even they would benefit. Even kids that are successful in this system would benefit from a different experience. And, and there and is yeah. pressure on those kids too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not oh, throwing sure. baby out with the bathwater. Those kids yes. that that really, I mean, I'm, I knew those kids in high school that they were getting all A's and they had to, or else. God forbid, whatever might happen at home. So that's a whole other level of pressure yes. that's happening. So that There's isn't to say that, yeah, they're valuable as well. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm just from my yeah, own yeah. perspective. Yeah. No, there's a ton of pressure on those kids too. Um, but I, I would just say, you know, um, just as an example, you know, even for those kids that, you know, or have have those opportunities or are successful in this model um, by the standards or measures that we have and, and, you know, move on to college and whatever else, like still like 50 minutes of math, you know, independently disconnected from all the, uh, all, you know, other subjects 
not necessarily relevant to kind of their lives or real world. Like there's a, there's a potential to like make that better, you know, um, to make it more relevant, more engaging. Uh, and it's, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think the, the, the structure of the system needs to change for, for everybody. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I think all of this is possible. Um, and I think it has to be possible while also making everybody in this system, right? Like making their lives better, meeting their needs. So like parents, teachers, principals, district superintendents, state leaders, others, like um, it doesn't have to be, I don't think this change has to be done in such a way that it's that, you know, one certain group of stakeholders completely loses out. In fact, I think if it's done in that way, it won't, it won't be effective. Um, yeah. I think it, it can be done in a way that different, different motivations, different needs, like, you know, those can be still be met while moving towards this uh, different, change your vision yeah it's awesome ben thank you for being on hey human i really appreciate it this is of exciting course. i'm excited you. for you know like whitney houston i believe the children are our future <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true uh, thank you for listening everybody <laughs> bye Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.